And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and more importantly, make it work. Now, if any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're going to love his show. How to write and deliver captivating speeches, how to market yourself into a new job, how design can help and potentially hurt your revenue, and how to create a social media ad strategy that works. If these topics hit home and they're things that you want to learn about, go listen to Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, you're going to hear an episode of my new podcast, Liquidity and Liquor. I co-host Liquidity and Liquor with Yosef Martin, a serial entrepreneur who sold his last company, BoxyCharm, for over $500 million. On Liquidity and Liquor, we have conversations about business, money, and life with some of the most interesting people in the world. You can download and subscribe to Liquidity and Liquor on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the bio that I found floating around the internet on you. Yeah. Lies. All, All lies. lies. Yeah. So born and raised in landlocked Michigan. True. He discovered his untapped love, untapped, no limit, love for the water while managing restaurants <laughs> in Turks and Caicos. That's a little dramatic and over the top. It was then that an acquaintance invited him to serve as a mate on a sailboat delivery to earn extra cash. Well, that's embellishment of sorts. I was out of money, going broke. In fact, I was broke. I think we had like $55 left in the bank account. That's, that's And there tough. was a little three-by-five business card or index card. Yeah. Said, mate wanted for a sailboat delivery down to the British Virgin Islands. No experience necessary. That's all it takes. How did you find mate? yourself in Turks and Caicos serving with no money? Want to get paid to do well it. the restaurant no 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 but i mean so you made a move were you you weren't born raised in turks and caicos no so you made a move yeah made a move most people don't move to turks and caicos to serve at a restaurant i wasn't serving i owned it oh you owned it oh i thought you were serving i thought it was like you were oh so it was like oh, the no. business was not going well no i understand the okay. casino that they were building right next door to my restaurant okay or within i mean very close proximity okay only made it up two floors when they ran out of money Oh shit! Wait, so you owned the casino, but before no. you owned the, the restaurant, mm-hmm. but before that, you were just trying to get a job. You got a job, and somehow you ended in Turks and Caicos, and you opened a restaurant. I had a couple of restaurants prior to that. So this is incorrect because it says managing. How did you come up with fifty five dollars? You owned a restaurant. In you Turks had and Caicos. Yeah, it's it's 
like I said, not everything you read is true. Really? Yeah. I've never experienced that. Really? Not everything on the internet is true. No, it, can't. it must be <laughs> true, really but it is the only shock, internet. Oh. Okay, okay. So, oh, so that, so did you sell or what happened? No, I just had to give it up. Oh, shit. So you shut down those restaurants? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I and can imagine you serving people. You don't I like it. Work, Ima yeah. Imagine Captain comes to people like, I don't like the food, but tough luck, okay, you pussy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You'll eat what I give you. Yeah. You'll eat what I give you, yeah. So at 35, you obtained your captain's license. That captain. part's true. That, that, that's when you obtained your captain's license. Left. Oh, that's when I started embarking on the journey to get it. Okay. You, no. can't, you can't get a captain's license in a year. How long does it take? Well, in order for the Coast Guard to allow you to even sit for your first basic exam to get your master's, you have to spend 720 days at sea underway. Mm. It means the boat's got to be off the dock and moving. Hmm. And you have to verify that 720 days. Somebody's got to sign for your time. Mm -hmm. And if they lie about your time, they're subject to... I don't know, five years in prison and quarter of a million dollar fine. So, so your minimum two two and a bit years to do this if you went out every single if you, day. If you if you started tomorrow, yeah, you'd have to stay out at sea for two years. Yeah, and so how long it took you from the day you started to actually obtain the license? It took me about five years. Okay, wow. So it was and pretty I, intensive. I worked. Yeah, I worked at it hard. Wow. I was I was working on boats for nothing. Hmm. You don't have to pay me. Just. Sign my sea service counts, form. Counts towards the hours. Yeah. Interesting. Counts for, And I didn't, I mean, I could go on board as a cook, mm -hmm. a stew. That seems silly though, no? Whatever capacity you're on board that boat in counts as time and sea. That's as very different. As long as you're away from the dock. That's different than like pilot hours though. Because pilot hours, you have to be flying the plane for so many hours well, to get there's, the license. There's, I'm, but there's a certain regimen that you have to go through for pilot hours. Yeah. You know, you have to go to class. You know, for a second, I had some respect because we go, oh, they got to make sure you actually run a boat and you navigate through waves for two years. But no, like, no, you can be a cook. So it doesn't really give you technical experience, well, specific you, experience. You could be a cook. But, uh, and I've known some chefs that have decided that they wanted to get into the other aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so they've taken their sea time and then they've gravitated towards, you know, learning the deck <clears throat> and learning the mechanics and learning everything else that they need that, that to they learn. Should be. Because yeah. when you sit down to take the test, you could spend your two years as a cook at sea, but when you sit down to take the test, it's going to show exactly what yeah. you know. You have to have experience. You have to have yeah. yeah. And you don't get that just by being a chef at sea. Interesting. Before we continue with this, obviously, completely factual bio, 100% accurate <laughs> representation of your life. Mm -hmm. what, is, what does being a captain actually mean? So the difference, be, is it that you have people that are technically on staff? Is that like one direct report on staff on a boat? Does that make you a captain? Does that mean that you have to go through that whole process? No, you are in, when you're a captain, you are in command of the vessel and anybody and everybody who's on board that vessel, you are responsible for. Whether it's a passenger, whether it's an engineer, whether it's a stewardess, if it's a dog, 
you're responsible for all lives, all souls on board. You know what? Do you remember that case, the Italian uh, captain with the cruise ship that tilled over in the Mediterranean? Yeah. That jumped the ship. I mean, what's your take on this one? He was such a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the story. Okay, so in the Mediterranean, on, there was a, a, a ship that was a uh, captain. We got to talk. No. You got to talk to your parents about it. Okay, so <laughs> your phone is that's on. That's the network calling right now. No. You need to take it? No. No, okay. And what is it, Andy Cohen? Oh, Who is it? Tell Andy you were busy, right? Andy. <laughs> Tell Andy Cohen, listen. I didn't mean I was blowing the network off intentionally. It's just yeah. for a little while. This is live podcast. I mean, raw <laughs> podcast over here, guys. We're not editing anything for you guys. That's how cool we are. So anyway, what happened was the Mediterranean, there was a cruise ship. A large one in the Mediterranean, maybe like a thousand passengers or Scatino. That was his name. Yeah. Captain Scatino. He, he was going really close to the shore because he was with a girl and he wanted to show her how nice the shore is. So he came too close to a point that it actually hit the ground and the whole boat tilled over. And then eventually he escaped the boat before everybody else because his you, job is to if stay. If you looked at it, if you looked at the topography, because they've shown it a hundred times, the island slope down very steeply mm -hmm. and you could get close to the island theoretically not, not, not that close but there's there's a prescribed course that all cruise ships have for they've got a route mm -hmm. that they have to follow and he just decided well he wouldn't do that because he was trying to impress his chick and he ended up killing a bunch of people, 35 people. Oh, yeah, killed died. people that, well, I mean, He's not intentionally, but, but yeah. I didn't know the story. He, he, the thing was, he was supposed to stay on the boat and try to save, but he ended up jumping the boat and saving himself first. And that was... This lame-ass excuse that he used was, I felt I could better coordinate the rescue efforts from shore. Well, it must be true, just like the... How many, <laughs> How many people were on this boat? A couple hundreds. It's a big cruise ship. Oh, maybe I have heard about this, but I'm just not, I'm not clocking it. Yeah. So it's not a small, it's not a no, small. No, 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 it's not, no. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a it big was a major, carnival cruise it was line a major type. catastrophe. And it took, it took a couple of years for them to get that upright. And move it, yeah. Because they were afraid it was gonna, just going to slide down the, uh, the, the slope of the mm -hmm. island and fall into five, 6,000 feet of water and be irretrievable. Jeez. So it was, it was quite an engineering feat to get it so up So what does right. it take to move from a boat, you, you, you're doing about 200 feet or so on mm -hmm. boats, right, to say like a Carnival Cruise Line size ship. Like what's the difference? Like it's just a more experience based on the size or number of people? What's the... More experience and you're, when you get into the like cruise ship type thing, you're dealing with department heads. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with a full complement of bridge officers. So rarely are you driving the boat interesting it's the third officer or second mm -hmm. officer they're at the helm mm -hmm. and you're telling them you know what route to to follow yeah you what is it what is GPS. harder in your opinion a cruise ship one of the largest cruise ships in the world to captain that or a boat where you're actually at the helm well the difference is you're responsible for more lives when you're on a cruise ship uh but to me, it doesn't really make any difference. One life, a hundred, a thousand. Yeah. You're still, you know, do you want to be responsible for one person dying? No, obviously If that's not. the only yeah. person you've got on board. You know, I had, I had a lady working for me and she was, 
CMO of a major cruise liner. I don't want to say which one. And she told me, you have no idea how many people fall off the cruise line, cruise boats, nice. mostly when they're drunk. They don't report this. Do we call the Coast Guards? The boat never stops. They call the Coast Guards to pick them up, but they fall. And many times they don't find them and you don't even hear about it. Is that, that's yeah. normal? She, I for told the, her how, for the well, I mean, she time. was working for me for about two years and I was trying to get it out of her. She's like, just give me a number. Like, I can't tell you. I'm never going to tell you that. It's crazy. And it's a big, big cruise line. Hmm. Yeah. How many fall from your boat? And Not the, zero. No. Well, I've, on, I've only had one. Fall, yeah. But you retrieve them, right? Yeah. You stop. Yeah, and they don't stop. The other ones don't stop. They just keep on going. That's insane, right? Up. Yeah. Um, man, that took a dark turn. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep going down this jovial bio because it's less, <laughs> it's less dramatic. <laughs> We're going from people falling off yeah. cruise ships to joviality. Yeah. Okay. So you obtained your captain license after uh, you said five years, left the restaurant business behind to pursue his newfound passion. And then since then, the quote, running against the tide author, that's your book. Yes, it is. Uh, has commanded more than a dozen super yachts. This is the next line is going to kill me and you lovingly known as stud of the sea. Is that how you're, is that how you're known? <laughs> you lovingly? Know lovingly is quite accurate, <laughs> but it's something uh, that's not going anywhere, obviously. He values the special bonds he forms on deck and always puts safety of everyone on board above all else. I think that's fair. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. So you're excited to, oh, this is uh, probably some sort of um, uh, trailer or prelude for a show. It says you're excited to return to the Caribbean this season with familiar faces, Chef Rasha Hargrove, Chef, uh, Chief Stu Fraser Olander, mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then it goes into more about the show. Yeah. Um, so... Interesting career path because you you were a captain and now all of a sudden you're finding yourself in the spotlight, which is an interesting pivot because now you're just taking your work and you're broadcasting it out to the world. So maybe just like walk through, you know, your career, some of the things that have I, I think that it's really cool to see your background, like some of the maybe some of the stories that you've dealt with over the years. I don't know if they're, if they're good stories, bad stories, crazy stories, but then also the, the pivot from, you know, you have a very personal, probably not public life to taking, you know, the thing that you're good at and broadcasting it out to the world. How did that sort of manifest? How is that going? Obviously you've been doing it for a while now, so you're kind of, you know, you're comfortable with it, but was that difficult? Was it hard? Was it easy? I actually didn't give it much thought. I just wanted people to stay out of my way. Let me do my job. Yeah, you can you can film all you want. Just stay out of my way. You know. What do you like more, the the actual reality show or being a captain? To me, there's not much difference because I don't run my boat any differently. Mm. Well, I guess the the way we want to look at this question is the reality show kind of like put your personal life now outside of the boat too. If, if it was shooting outside of the boat, but now you cannot sell, what would you say? Okay, you have to get rid of one, either reality show or selling. What would you, what would you choose? The reality show. You would get rid of the reality show? Yeah. Right. Yeah? Well, I'm, I mean, how do you stop being a captain? 
So your identity is, is yeah. Captain Lee in a reality show yeah. or the actual captain? The no, I've been, a, like. I've been a captain for 30, almost 40 years. Hmm. I've been doing it on TV for 10. But when you, when you do it on TV, is it not like, so you're saying, you're saying, you know, film me, fine. That's, but get out of my way, let me do my job. But Exactly. But I'm sure there's a lot of bullshit that comes with being on TV because you see it with even like, like Real Housewives and whatnot. Like there's, manif there's like architected drama. Yeah, we don't script anything. Everything we see Every, is real. The, camera, the cameras start rolling at 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. And for the next six weeks, they don't shut down except to change out the media cards. That's it. That's it. And do, is it like pressure performing, doing the job while cameras are around? Or is that actually the, the, the chaos I, that I don't pay any attention? To well, I, I know, you know, I, I noticed and an, because an, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, you can film it and you are filming. But, it. but, but Captain, what we see, what I see, because I've been watching the show. I'm like Scott that didn't do his homework, and I do do my homework. <laughs> what did I do wrong today? <laughs> <laughs> no, so so on the show, I've been watching it for years. Um, I noticed that mm, I would say 80% of the time it's going to be about the crew, you, the mm. rest of the team, and then 20% is about the people. So, which makes sense because if you want to go and put a story, it's just you want people kind of like to relate to the character. So you don't want to go and focus on people that come and go and you're never going to see them again. You, you want to focus on the crew and it makes sense. And in between sure. you have, so when you, when you go and you see the crew every time going in and out and everything else, like the crew is not like the, the guest, right? You say, well, the guest, as soon as you put a camera, boof, person is a different person. Is it the same with the crew? That oh, sure. The, it's the same? They change when they see the camera? I think when the network hires crew, they look for a, you know, a specific type, a personality, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether it's an A or a B type personality, but they look for somebody that's probably going to play well on camera, going to play well on TV, and they see certain qualities in that person that are going to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that you want to see happen is as soon as the camera starts rolling, all of a sudden this person that you hired and their personality disappear. Mm -hmm. And then they morph into something that yeah. you've never seen before. And you go, oh, Jesus Christ. Do you have any say on this? What have I got now? Do, do you have any say on all this when, when, we're talking about, when we're talking about that? Like when you look at, when you guys choose the cast members, do you have any say saying I don't like this person or um, there are past cast members that I wouldn't work with again okay but as far as present you know when we're getting ready to start a new season uh, here's your cast mm. but I do reserve the right to fire whoever I choose yeah you're still a captain so that yes, doesn't change. That's, that's one of the things that was tough for production to get used to is that once you untie those lines from the dock, yeah. there's only one authority out there. And that's the captain. Period. So that no no matter what, any person on that boat, the captain has the authority to confine them to quarters, put them ashore, mm -hmm. whatever he needs to do to maintain the safety and the integrity of the vessel. Mm -hmm. Come closer to the mic. On board. Yeah. But that's so I think actually that's my point. It's it's interesting because when you when you operated like pre TV, 
you didn't have to put up with any bullshit. You didn't have to put up with any bad hires, or if you did, you can get rid of them easily. So now it's like it still applies. Still applies. Same thing. And do they like, even the cast they pick? Like you said, you don't have a, a hand in actually picking them. But what if you have a whole bunch of monkeys on board right now, and you have to deal with what you have? You, like I mean, they're, they're characters, their personalities. I'm just equating it to if I was forced into uh, in a business, a team of people that were just all characters, didn't have proficiency, or they had arguable proficiency, but they weren't great. They were more hired for you know how crazy they could look on camera. That would be an absolute nightmare, no? It would be if that's what they actually did, but they don't. Because they do have to have a certain degree of proficiency because they have to get their STCW. They do have to have their credentials. Okay. So they never brought you an unprofessional crew or something. Maybe there was one or two bad apples, but the rest were pretty decent. People that are green, just starting out, not as proficient as you'd like them to be, but teachable. Mm -hmm. I can deal with that. Yeah. Give me, give me, so how many people have you fired that were part of the cast throughout <laughs> the years? Well, since the show started, I've been trying to get through one season where I didn't fire at least one person. Wow. And I haven't made it yet. Wow. So every year. Don't, don't you think, think they I want think it to happen though now? And they're like, you know, we need, we need them to be that, that, that badass <laughs> they're captain. Planting, they're planting, that, that they're you, planting well, people. I, I, think my, I think my record... <laughs> This guy's an idiot. Bring him over. Like yeah. he's gonna get fired. We need one. <laughs> I think my record for one season is four. Wow! If you look at it. That's half the crew. Almost <laughs> half the crew. Wow! <laughs> Which one stayed with you the longest? How many? How many have stayed with you? Did anyone stay with you throughout the entire nine, ten years that you've been doing this? No, nobody's nobody's made it the full ten years. Hmm. Kate stayed with me the longest. It's six years. Okay. And people leave because of other reasons, right? I mean, they, they, oh, sure. they become famous, they have other options. They get tired of it, they want to do something else. Get married. Yeah, a lot of reasons. They get pregnant. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. So when, when, you, when you get on board, like, did you have any people that came on board that you guys had to break up fights and drunk and stuff like that? Does it ever happen? Physical? No. No. Now, uh, physical is just something that we don't tolerate at all. You know, you know I do have the authority to put somebody in, in cuffs and yeah. put them in a room and lock them in there if I have to. Never in all my years of yachting have I ever had to resort to that. No. It's just, you're fired. You're a dick. Get out of here. But you deal with like so your you, plane ticket to back wherever we hired you from. Yeah, go away. No, I'm talking about about the guests, not not the crew member. No, we've never had any guests even attempt to get physical. No, what's the? We had some really dumbasses on board. What, sure what did you have? What's the? Give us a story. Something, a couple of things that happened. Oh, Dolores was one of the best ones. She got all all liquored up, and she had this nice evening gown on at dinner. Right. After dinner, she goes, gosh, it'd be so great to go for a midnight swim. And I said, well, <laughs> it probably would be, but no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So she strolls down to the swim platform. I said, do not go in the water. If somebody goes overboard in broad daylight with current, wind, waves, it's virtually impossible 
to spot them again once you take your eyes off of them. Wow. Now, if you can imagine, you're just trying to spot a head. You can't see anything below the waterline. A head, this big. Now, I could throw a bright fluorescent green or orange basketball or a beach ball out there, you know, the size of the moon, and you'd be hard-pressed to find it. And she wants to dive in the water in a black dress and middle black night. hair in the middle of the night. And I tell her she can't do it. And she looks up at me and just gives me the biggest fuck you look in the world. And dove in. Oh, God. I was pissed. And I'm the kind of guy I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I was pissed. I got her ass back there and I said, your fucking charter just ended. And I said, any of the people that are here with you, if they don't like it, their charter can end too. That's where I left it. And so I got up the next morning and I called the primary. What, what is that? The primary is the, uh, he's the guy that, the individual that is paying for the charter. You know, he gets first dibs on everything, the best room, you know, mm -hmm. the master, all of that sort of thing, because he's picking up the tab. Mm -hmm. We, we got to be primaries, you know, when we're doing yeah. those stuff. I want to be a primary. <laughs> it's, a, it's good to be primary. Yeah, it is good. Down. I'm a primary. So I bring the primary into the wheelhouse, and I said, listen. I said, she went over the line. I said, here's the deal. I said, you guys are more than welcome to stay on board. We'll continue with the charter. But she's leaving. And if you have an issue with that, you're more than welcome to join her. But her charter's over. She's gone. And I had one of the stewardesses go down, pack her bags, and escort her off the boat, put her in a tender. And she got about less than 50 yards away from the boat in the tender, and I'll be goddamned if she didn't do it again. She jumped in? I was standing on the aft deck, and I was looking, and she bailed out of the tender. As the tender's moving. Well, what the fuck's she doing? <laughs> Proving a point, giving me the last finger, I guess. That's a little, a little strange, but... <laughs> he said, what do you want me to do, Captain? <laughs> I said, if you can pick her up, pick her up. If you can't, what the hell? <laughs> wow. Do you ever... Well, that was like when, I don't know, well, you don't watch it much. <laughs> no. <laughs> we had, I got to talk to his parents. He's we, not we, doing we, his homework. We had, a, we had a girl named Rocky. Yeah. That uh, she was a stewardess. And she got, a, she got her knickers in a wad because I got rid of a chef named Leon, who just wasn't a very good chef. Caused a fire in the galley because he didn't clean the oven. That kind oh, of wow. stuff. But that's a big fucking deal, though. That's well, yeah. not. I mean, a fire in the boat. It's <laughs> yeah. We put the fire out, but the boat sank. You can only pour so much water on a fire uh, yeah. before yeah. the boat's going to sink. So he ended up getting terminated, and she was just so upset about it that she decided, "I'm out of here too." So she takes off her clothes, takes off her microphone. And she dives overboard. And Eddie's, Eddie's on there and he goes, Cap, he says, Rocky just went over the side. I said, good. 
I just says, don't understand why that's the go-to she, move. She's swimming, she's swimming to another boat. I said, they can have her. <laughs> They're welcome to her. Have you ever had a, a had a guest or uh, or somebody that's obviously paid for the charter that you've had to shut the charter down that's been so pissed they've gone after you, tried to sue, get money back? I've never had anybody go after us legally. No. Or any other way. No. Uh, season one, I did have a group of guys that, you know, if they'd have kept it to themselves, what they do behind closed doors is none of my business. But they were just openly doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. And I can't have that. You know, I put everybody's career at stake. I put the vessel at stake. Yeah. That's at risk. Because you get caught with drugs on board. They take the boat. Yeah. I go to jail. It's your, gonna, it's your responsibility. I'm going to be there a long time. And guess what? Caribbean jails are not no fun. joke. Yeah. You know, it's not like here where they treat you with kid gloves. You think jail here is bad? Try a Caribbean jail. No, thank you. And so I took, uh, I took the charter back to the dock and said, you're all out of here. And then I, made, I sent a crew member with each one of them as they packed their bags to make sure they didn't leave a little present behind hmm. and then get to the airport and, and call, call up custom, customs and go like, oh, yeah, you know that, that boat down in the, mm-hmm. at D-Dock at uh, Port of Plaisance? Uh-huh. They got drugs on board. You might want to check them out. Next thing I know, I got customs and immigration down there with the dogs, and I'm still in it. So after they left, well, I made sure that somebody went with them to pack. Yeah. So that, you know, I had a crew member with every one of them. And then after they disembarked, I had customs come on and bring the dogs and sweep the whole boat. Yeah, you wouldn't be the one making the phone call. You don't want them to make the phone call. Yeah. It's stressful. As I said, we had some some people on board. They're gone now. I made sure I waited until after their plane had left. To make sure they were out of the country. Yeah, I didn't want to see them get thrown in jail. Yeah, and uh, called up customs and said, "Did you ever have bring a, the dogs? Did you ever have a cruise where you said, just it's just not the day? Like we should, I wish I didn't have to do this one. Maybe through weather, people, something, just everything goes wrong. Well, every every captain has been out at sea, and due to circumstances beyond his control, finds himself in a situation where he goes. Oh, God, I am not getting paid anywhere near enough to go through this shit. Mm. And you bitch about it, you moan about it, until you get to shore. As soon as you get to the dock, get tied up, go have a couple of pops. But don't you have, like, raiders? Then you you go like, ah, it wasn't so bad. (laughs) (laughs) But don't you have raiders to go and tell you? Can't you see already on the screen, like, no, I shouldn't go and this is just a weather system coming over here. We should just not. No, if you're you're ever in any doubt, you don't. Yeah. It's just that simple. I'm just thinking of like that. And people will raise hell about it. Why can't we leave the dock? Why can't we do this? And it's not a democracy. You don't get a vote. It's like Jordan Belfer. And when he sank his yacht, no, it's more. It's more like the helicopter ride with um, Kobe Bryant. The same, same situation. Same thing where he was kind of like telling his guy, "Let's go, let's go," and he told him it's not the right way. Drawn, drawn the line. Yeah, said yeah. no. That's your responsibility to do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, so if you... The consequences are very steep. Expensive or death? Yeah. Only two options. Yeah. What are you bartering with? Someone's life for a potential good time? I don't barter. You shouldn't. I don't. Never have. You can get all kinds of pissed off. You can jump up and down. You can tell me I'm never going to work in this business again. I don't care. Hell, I was looking for a job when I got this one. It's because you're dealing with, I assume you're dealing with egos that oh, have the huge, money. Huge egos. Usually yeah. people that come to those charters, they don't well you off. know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly who you are and <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, can you imagine the type of people that rent charter yachts if they're not getting their way? Yeah, well, I mean, you. Billionaires are never, ever used to somebody saying no. That's just not in their vocabulary. That's not how their life works. That's for other people, but not for them. Mm -hmm. You know, because they go, I don't care what it costs, make it happen. And they can do that, where most people... Yeah, most people around them are going to be yes people. And that's where... Like 99% mm -hmm. of them are yeah, probably they're, yes they're people. They're not used to having one telling them no, confronting yeah, and them. and then they run yeah. into me and... <laughs> <laughs> What's... Uh, Let's just say it's yeah. not always pretty. And, and the average person that books a charter, are they, you know, DECA millionaires, over 100? Are they billionaires? What's the, the average type of persona you deal with? Well... The ones that you find that'll book a 200 or 250 or 300 foot yacht are generally in the billionaire category. And they might do that three, four times a year. A billionaire, I mean, it's 150 grand, right? For, for, for a weekend or for a week or something? I know, like the last boat we were on is like close. You're probably all in with everything, tip, alcohol, fuel, all the rest of that stuff. Probably half a million a week. Okay. A week. A yeah. week. And you how many guests? Twelve. Twelve guests. Maximum. Yeah. That's all you can have legally. Mm. Okay. So if you technically own a boat, like my neighbors on the other side, they own a boat. It's like a hundred and twenty foot or so on. It's at two hundred, but it's a hundred. And uh, they're they're on the boat about a hundred and twenty days out of the year. That's it's, a lot. Yeah. And they told me they have a crew, they have seven men crew, and um, it cost them about 1.1 million a year. That's, that's the math. So with seven crew, that means it's probably maybe a 100, 120 foot boat. Yeah, 120. Yeah. That's what it is, yeah. It's probably a little light at seven, probably needs eight to do it properly but yeah that's about right maybe it's not including the captain it's, I don't remember exactly it might be seven or eight something like that mm -hmm. um, and then what it also counts is the fixing because there's always every year they have to go and put it in some repairs or some sorts or something like that it's a boat you always have to put money in it yeah always what are the what are the it's a depreciating asset yeah it's just never ever no. going to be worth what it's you in salt water all the time. So yeah. you yeah, buy it. So what do you what do you put towards it? Say you buy. I don't even. I don't know boat economics. It's a very rich conversation. I hope to have someday. But when you buy it for say you buy a boat for anything from twenty five to fifty million dollars, what's the maintenance cost on something like that? You're going to spend. You have to have at least five million dollars every year if you buy a fifty million dollar boat. 
That's a five, lot. Five to seven, seven and a half million every year that you don't care about, mm -hmm. that you could just take, put in a pile out in the street, put a match to it, Shit. and walk away and go like, Anybody bring the hot dogs? Yeah, but, but, but the, the, the way you think about this is if you have a business that makes you about 50 million a year, you're not going to take it all to heaven. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs, no more servers, no more updates, just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. You have already enough in the size. Seven million is a lot. Well, I mean, you, you, you can depreciate some of it on taxes. Yeah. If you go and you bring in some people, you write it off as expenses, and then the rest of it comes down to, okay, look, that boat is on uh, by me. I'm going to go and spend third of my money on leisure. Third of my money goes to boats, jets, all that stuff. And yeah. that's, that's the numbers. That's, that's what it is. I mean, in, in their case, it's one and a, one point. And it, look, when you have seven men crew, they make you all the food you want. They have enough food to last them for very, like they have enough 
fuel to go from the Mediterranean to Florida and come back. And you get that boat and it's always there. That crew always serves you and it's, it's 1.1 million a year. And you live like a king. What's the crew doing when they're not traveling? Working. Working what? Say the boat's There's in dock. There's always something to do on a boat. So it's full time, 40 hours always. plus, I mean, well, yeah. I guess. Okay. For, usually, like with my crew, it's a nine to five job when we don't have guests on board. Okay. So start at eight o'clock in the morning, we're done by four or five in the afternoon. But what kind of work do you do when there is no one there? Were you fixing the boat, cleaning uh, again from yesterday? There's always, there's always something on a boat that's broke. Uh-huh. Always. Yeah. I don't care the boat that just came out and it's brand new and nobody's ever set foot on it yet. It's got something that's broke. Unreal. <laughs> that Unfucking real. That's crazy. Yeah. There's never, nothing is ever perfect. Yeah, I don't know anyone that, any one of my friends that own boats, no matter how new they are or whatever it is, there's third of the time it's somewhere in the garage and they're complaining. But it's not like it, it has, garage, to, I mean, it no, has to be clean, yeah, the it marina. has to be clean from top to bottom at least once a week, maybe twice a week, depending on where you're, where you're docked at. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're docked anywhere where there's like a highway or something, you know, just the road dust means you're washing that boat three times a week. Now, if you've got a 200-foot boat... It takes some time to do. You've got four deckhands that are out there busting their ass yeah. eight hours a day, and as soon as, you know, for two days, and then one day they don't have to wash it, and then the next day they do. Yeah. And you start all over again. And if it's washed, then it's got to be dried. And the decks have to be scrubbed. And then for those and types... And the tenders have to be scrubbed. And then you've got all the toys on board that have to be exercised and used. Because otherwise, the next time you go out with the owner and he says, I want you to put all the sea bobs in the water and you have them run them, battery's dead. Mm-hmm. Well, why is the battery dead? Well, we didn't, we didn't use it. We just left it. And then, yeah, no. That doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, full-time there, there is a, a, literally a checklist, I guess, that you have to have for, that's proprietary for every boat, right? That you say, I mean, it's oh, the commonalities. But the you, boat has to always be ready to go when the owner calls up and says, I want to go out. So it can't be, well, we're, we're in the middle of washing the boat. And if he says, I want to go out tomorrow, then you have to be ready to go crew has to be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to be on their game. So that means all of the laundry has to be done. All of the beds have to be made. Every refrigerator has to be stocked. The uh, jacuzzi's got to be ready to be functional. Can't be any leaks. The gym's got to be set up. Got to have all the towels in. You got to make sure that the sauna's working properly, gets up to the proper temperature. You can't have any dust or any fingerprints on any mirrors anywhere on the boat and all of the guest rooms, all six of them, if there happens to be six on board. And, you know, just, you just have to think what it takes to maintain a house. Well, quadruple that for a boat. That's what I'm understanding. So it's, when you buy a boat, you buy a full-time staff. Yes. 
because after a certain size, your insurance company requires that you have have what they call manning requirements. Mm. And your insurance company says you will have a captain on board all the time. You will have a first officer on board. You will have two engineers. You will have somebody for the interior. You will have a certain amount of deckhands. And this is the bare minimum that you have to hire. Now, usually the bare minimum that they say you have to have is nowhere near what you have to have when you've got guests on board. You could easily double it. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, but boat, boat is an expensive business. Yeah, it's a very expensive. Your captains, entry level for a captain is $1,000 per foot per year. That's, how, that's a good benchmark that's, for figuring yeah. out a salary, okay. That's yeah. for entry level. Now you want to hire, like if somebody came up to me and said, well, I'm going to pay you, you know, I've got a 230-foot boat, and I'll pay you $1,000 a foot per year. <laughs> you better go find somebody else because, no, I'm not doing it. That's, that's your rookie. And if you think hiring experience is expensive, what do you pay for inexperience? Yeah. And then you'll go, yeah, uh-huh, okay, I get it now. I mean, it's like when you're flying, do you want to see a 22-year-old kid come strolling out of the cockpit of a 747? No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Imagine that, right? What about the rest of the salary? So you have your captain, that's a good benchmark. But then, yeah. so you have... Uh, your chef is going to cost you, on a boat, say, say a 50-meter, 165 feet, is going to cost you eight, 9000 a month and they're only gonna work 11 months out of the year, but you're gonna pay them for 12. And if you're working for 12 months out of the year, you're gonna pay them for 13. Mm -hmm. uh, you're gonna have a couple of engineers. Your chief engineer, if he's worth a damn, is probably gonna make in the neighborhood of just a little bit less than what you're paying your captain. Oh, wow. So if you're Damn, it's a lot of money. These engineers, my salaries. mom told me, go be an engineer. I didn't no. listen to her. So not no. cheap salaries. Engineers are, if you're paying your captain 15000 a month, odds are you're paying your engineer twelve to thirteen a month. Mm -hmm. And then he's got an assistant. Because you have to have two engineers in about that size. It's preferable. Mm -hmm. Your chief stew is going to be making... And about that size, eight, eight thousand a month. Plus, you're going to have to pay for everything that they do. You're going to pay for their shoes. You're going to pay for their uniforms. You're going to pay for their belts. You're going to pay for their shirts, socks. The only thing you're not going to pay for is their underwear. You're going to buy all their toothpaste. You're going to buy all their beauty products. Buy all their toothbrushes, their deodorant, shampoo, conditioner. They're going to have one closet down in the crew mess that is designated just for crew toiletries. See, this is this is where you listen and you set yourself up. If that is not a motivation to make it in life, then what is? Instead of thinking You've also about scared everyone shitless. No, no, right no. That's what. That, you're right. You know what? It scares. <laughs> Everyone or almost everyone, but if your mind is 
Yeah, no, no, true. no, no. I need to go and understand that I need to have an abundant amount of cash that that's going to be such an insignificant amount. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing you want to do is nickel and dime those stuff. You said that is such an insignificant amount that I need to go and produce with a lifestyle business or investments that get me passive income. I don't income. think anybody thinks about when, even when they're coming up, even when they've sold a company for, you know, hundred million dollars. Nobody's thinking about the the, the residual cost of owning a book. Absolutely, they well, do. When you sell a business, hundred million dollars isn't really enough. I mean, no, you can own a boat, but it's going to be really small. Yeah, yeah, not not like those. Yeah, is that, no, I'm thinking like you know, you look at a, a million, nice number, a hundred million dollars, great exit for a great entrepreneur, yeah. right? But then all of a sudden, that's not anything. Well, if well, you if you have if you, you have if you have if you have live, yeah, no, but but the idea is this, okay? When you cash out. The first thing you start thinking about is how can I produce income going forward? If you sell the bit, the, the cash cow that you have, you get a lot of principle out of it, right? You don't want to touch a principle. And our mind is going like, all right, how can I produce money out of it? So say you put the money in the stock market, into bull market, and every month you get yourself an extra $2 million, a million dollar a month just from profit. You still understand that it's just a matter of time. And you said, you know, it's not going to last forever, but I made $12 million. But if it's an actual business that gets you an additional after taxes, $12 million, you said, well, I have already 100 in the bank. I have a boat that I purchased, whatever. And it cost me, say, half a million a month to maintain it. But I fucking love boats. And I love it that much that I said that would be where I put my money. But half a million seems like a small boat when you add No, half a million a month. That's $6 million a year. Yeah, half a okay. million a month. Okay. okay, so you say it's a big boat, right? But you really like it. But you you need to say, all right, do I want to give half of the money that I just made on my? No, I want to make more. So all all you need to think is not how much I'm paying. Should I save? How can I make more? How can I invest smarter? How can I, can I go? That's just the way. I'm, when I listen, that's the way I consider. That's the way I'm, I'm picturing everything in my mind. I don't care for boats. I get seasick very quickly, so I try to stay away from boats. But for someone that loves boats, and I have friends that are seriously passionate about boats. So they'll buy a 60 footer or so on and because that's what they can afford. Some of them have bigger ones, obviously. But the mine is, no, I need to go and produce so much that that would make it 10% Nothing. of my, yeah. Don't, don't think of saving money or not doing it. It's like, okay, I'll get to it mm-hmm. once it's, it's, uh, it's responsibly a uh, good investment. It's okay, not investment for, for my, my leisure time, but I need to go and produce more. Yeah. That's, that's a way a, a healthy mind should think. Would you ever buy a boat? Uh, all things being relative, uh, I'm probably never going to make the amount of money to own the kind of boat that I would want. That's fair. What kind of boat do you want? That's fair. Oh, I, I would want something, you know, nothing less than 50 meters. Oh, why? Why not say 90 foot or 100 foot boat? It's just not quite big enough for what I would like to do okay. in the places I'd like to go. I wouldn't feel comfortable taking a 90-foot boat from here to Tahiti. Mm. Oh, you're going to cross that. Okay, I got you. That's a major. You're gonna, you're, well, you are a captain. You're not going to go and say, well, I'm going to put it on a bigger boat, on a ship, ship it. Okay, you're going to actually sell. So you're saying with a 50-meter, you can comfortably sell across the ocean? Yeah. Really? You can. Interesting. A lot of them do. And then there's a lot of them that don't want to put the hours on the on the engines, or for whatever reason, they'll put it on uh, 
on a large cargo ship and ship it over there. In fact, they have ships that are just designed for doing nothing more than yacht transport. Mm -hmm. And they'll put seven or eight mega yachts on one boat, like Dock Express, it's called. And they just don't want to put basically the mileage on well, the... Yeah, what yeah. they'll do is, with Dock Express, this is probably 800-foot boat, 900-foot. And they'll actually sink it to a certain level and the back door will drop down and then they'll start moving these mega yachts on board and they have underwater divers with welders that as soon as the boat gets in position and gets tied off the divers will sit there and they'll weld a cradle in place hmm. to hold it while it's still sitting in the water these guys are under the water yeah. doing this work and they'll be down there until they get all the boats on board that they, that they can physically, you know, capable of handling. And the divers are down there. Sometimes it takes three or four days, maybe a week, to load up one of these Dock Express boats. Hmm. Divers are down there welding their asses off. And Is it true that the crew stays on boat? When they get it all in place, they put the back door up. Yeah. And they pump all the water out and Ship this thing pops up, up out of the water. Mm. All the water drains off and then they go about hooking up all the air conditioning lines, you know, so that they can still function, <laughs> you know, and they have power to it. Yeah. And some of the crew stay, I think you're allowed two crew on each boat and they stay on just to monitor all the systems on board. And... But they have they have crew quarters where the actual crew on the boat they're they're carrying across the ocean can stay somewhere else if they like on board. What were you going to say? No, that that was my point. Is like, is is it true that some of the crew members have to stay on board when that yeah. happens? Yeah. And then what especially would you say? if they've got like the AC running or something, you don't want to sit there and bust a water line. And, yeah. You know, all of a sudden you're pumping 300 gallons a minute. Yeah. Um, and what would what would be the smallest ship that you'd ever say should try and do a transatlantic or some sort of journey of that size? Personally, I wouldn't do anything smaller than 50 meters. People do it, though? People do it, yeah. I've seen them go over 100-foot boats, 120-foot boats. But the North Atlantic, and depending on when you go and when you come back, you know, you've got to pick your weather windows You better know exactly what you're doing. And it's boring as hell. You may do an Atlantic crossing and never see another ship. Never see a dolphin, never see a whale, never see anything. The crew is going batshit crazy because they're going nuts. They've already watched every movie that's in your <laughs> in your in your library. Yeah. They've read every book on board. You know. And they're staring out at open water for weeks. How long? How long is the and journey? And see nothing. Yeah. Uh, but how long is the journey from, say, the Mediterranean to Florida? About three weeks, depending three weeks. on the on the speed of the vessel, or if you run into weather, it can it can be a lot longer than that. Yeah, so do you escape it if you see a weather system? Do you go north, south, like expand, like or like? Well, you have you have strategies. you have satellite communications, and you have uh, weather companies that you can call up that track these systems, 
and they'll look on they have you have what they call uh, that's ARPA and it'll show up where your boat is at any given point in time and they can track it and they'll sit there okay you got a system heading here here's the route you should take to avoid this weather system mm -hmm. that could add four or five days to your trip because obviously yeah. you're which already, is worth it I you're mean, already taking the shortest yeah, route yeah. to get there yeah but you may have to extend it and that's when you have to make sure that when you set out on the trip one you have enough crew you're always going to put on extra crew because you're going to have to have extra people because you always want two people in the wheelhouse yeah 24-7 day night doesn't matter yeah two people in the wheelhouse always you want that extra set of eyes because it gets that boring that you just need keeps keep them awake and alert and sharp yeah sharp I mean let's say you know one of these cargo ships drops a container you know they lose a container now a shipping container which is twice the size of this room and it's floating two feet beneath the surface because it hasn't completely sunk yet you have no idea and you don't see it until the last second mm. and you hit it you got all kinds of trouble so that's you know scenario. people it happened to i don't personally know but it happens yeah in or the middle of the ocean you can... some of the uh depending on what they're shipping like you get up north like in alaska and places like that where where they're shipping logs mm. and some of these 100 foot trees you know all of a sudden they fall off and they'll sink vertically problem you can straight blow. up and down mm -hmm. and then you know they're only two feet or three feet beneath the surface you draw 10 feet or 12 feet and what happens if you hit something like that if it breaches the hull you've got serious problems you better hope that your bilge pumps can keep it up and you can you can you know get down there and stuff the hole how long do you have if depends some... on how big the hole is well the, don't they have don't they have those little um, I guess sections of airship, it breaks one or two, the, the boat still floats, just like with the Titanic, they add fuel. Well, and you do have watertight compartments. Yeah. Like if it were to hit up by the anchor pockets or something like that, that's a that's a watertight bulkhead. Okay. And so you could confine it to that. But if that it's the area. side, that's where it's more dangerous, right? Because it could can be, damage yeah. quite a few. Well, like Katino, that ripped a hole in the side of the boat that yeah. was like, what, 30 or 40, 50, 60 feet long? you're not going to recover from something like that yeah so then you sink and you wait for help right you go everybody go on boats and into the life rafts yeah and they always have what's the and law now they find you they might not find you might not don't they have satellite well you have your but the batteries are only going to last so long oh. depends on where you're at if you're in a shipping lane odds, odds are you know in a few days or so that you know a ship's going to come by and they're going to pick up your your signal a few days your EPIRB wow and theoretically your EPIRB should send a signal to a satellite up in the sky that'll relay it 
to the proper authorities. Yeah. And every raft is equipped with its own EPIRB that's registered with the Coast Guard. Mm. And so they know who you are when they get that signal. And they know, all right, they're in trouble. This is where we need to go. Wow. A lot to think about when you're out there. There's a hell of a lot to think about. When you actually hit something and say the ship is sinking, what is the saying the captain has to go down with the ship? Where did that come from? Some fool made that up. I, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard it before. I never understood it, and it always seemed... Well, the captain should be the last one to step off. Yeah, but they don't go down, go with, down it. with it. Why would you go down with your boat? It's a saying. It is. I don't know why it is. No, I think Kevin I think, goes down with the ship. No, I think no. I think in in uh, in Japan and uh, the war when Second World War, there were one or two uh, stories where the Japanese captains decided to sink with their boats, which there was no reason because they could have left. But it was part of their tradition, so I assume that's where that's it came from. That's a bad from. tradition. There's no reason for you to die. <laughs> you can tradition. go and run another boat. You did a good job. This captain ain't doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else. Okay, so we went into guests. We went into a ton of stuff about yachting and boating that I had no idea. I'm so clueless. Like I'm just now, trying now to be, I feel, like, I feel more of a professional. Like, we can go and talk to other people. And like, now I feel no. like we can actually, we actually have yeah. an educated discussion. We should have had a podcast with you before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, do you want to check if people ask questions on, oh, on yeah, let's, social media? Let's go and pull your phone. Because you know what? Fine. You're right. I actually haven't watched the show as much as I should have. And it's only because I'm inundated with so much reality TV that I can't take any more reality TV. My brain's going to explode. Yeah, we don't blame you. We, we are not blamers. Um, <laughs> I, I watched it. At the, okay, so we... But I'm sure there's questions my ex, about the show. My ex, my ex got me to get into Bravo at the time, because my, Patty, because we were watching Project Runway, then Chef, uh, Top Chef, and obviously Below Deck came yeah. uh, through this, and that's how I know Below Deck. But I haven't watched it, actual TV for a while, so now... Let's look at some questions. Yes, the show um, where the okay. That's what we did before people that are okay. listening and watching. Scott, you're doing an amazing job as a narrator, so I'm gonna give you this one. There's one question. Oh, I got right it. Here. Okay, so let, we, me, let um, me show you. Let me show you. Basically, uh, okay, so put out a, a, a question to ask Captain Lee to his audience, to our audience. Okay. So I'll ask uh, one question that came in and. Yosef is going to see if there's more because I'm sure that there's people that are following you that have questions for you too. Yes. But um, we somewhat touched on this, but we'll we'll go into it again. So is crew attrition as high as it seems, and how do you all how do you deal with onboarding new crew all the time? That's stressful. It's one of the most expensive things that happens on board a boat is training new crew, high rate of turnover, mm -hmm. and. A lot of times, especially, it's, I think it's uh, generational because some generations just don't have a good work ethic. And they think that once they get on board, they just, you know, they're going to be sitting on the beach drinking pina coladas yeah. until they find out that each exotic country that they visit, well, they have guests on board. Yeah, they're going to see it from a porthole. That's about it. Yeah. And if we happen to be there after the guests leave, if we're there for any period of time, and, you know, there's time and we get our work done, then, yeah, you can go ashore. 
but when they see the amount of work that actually goes into running a boat, uh, a lot of them just aren't prepared for it. They're not ready for it. And like, what do you mean I have to work past five? Uh, yeah. We have guests coming tomorrow. Yeah, you work until you're done and the boat's ready. If that means midnight, then it's midnight. No, I don't care. Do it. Or leave. It's your call. Cool. Okay, wait. Where is... Oh, these okay, are the so, questions. Yeah, those are the questions. But don't read... And just go and screen through the ones that needs to be screened out. So, but you can see the, the questions over here. Okay. <laughs> now move to the second one over here. Oh, how do you how do you rest when the crew is up partying so late? Usually, my quarters is on the very very top deck. My quarters is right behind the wheelhouse. So you don't, they, hear, you don't hear nothing. The wheelhouse is you know, there's a big sign there. It says "knock before entering." And it means what it says. But it's loud, no, in a close quarter? Uh, usually that's at the very close to the bow. Okay. And most of the partying will take place, you know, on the aft deck, uh, in the uh, party salon, in the bar area, which is, you know, well back from the center line of the boat. It's, it's not even close to being midships. You ever give them hell for showing up in the morning hungover? I have on occasion. As you should. <laughs> As yeah. you should. <laughs> and I have no sympathy. Let's see. If it's, it's a self-induced illness, like the bottle flu. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. That's when you are fair game. Your ass does belong to me, and I will sweat every ounce of alcohol you've ever ingested out of you. <laughs> All right. So I have another one. Are you still in touch with some of the crew members who left the show? Sure. I don't even see where those questions are. I keep messing them up. So overall, overall, we get a lot of other questions, but there are just a lot of things around. Uh, uh, yeah, we're not going to read those over here. Yeah. <laughs> what are they? Doesn't matter. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. you have to screen stuff. So, Captain, was amazing. You, you got to let me look at it. Oh, at man. let me look at yeah, it. Yeah, well, okay. I'll let you look at one. It's, at uh, one. One last one. one. Here it is. <laughs> let's keep the, the the tense and don't tell them what it is uh, alright so that was great do you have any any other remarks last remarks no I actually really appreciate that because I learned I was actually I was actually pleasantly surprised because we learned so much about yachting and boating yes. that I didn't know anything about and I'm happy actually that I actually came out of this smarter about boating I mean I still have to watch the show more so that's you know, that was one of the things that Below Deck has done is that it, it's put a spotlight on the yachting yeah. community. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people in Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska, you know, a lot of the, the middle of the country. They're like, we can charter a boat. We can actually like, they didn't know that. hire the boat. They had no clue. And there's a lot of good, hardworking kids out there that are looking for a good, solid career. Mm -hmm. uh, like, okay, the military always says, come see us, we're full of adventures, see the world, get paid while you do it. Well, the military doesn't pay what yachting pays. Yeah, It's not nearly as much fun. And besides that, you have people wanting to shoot your ass off. Yeah. So we don't have any of that. We pay better, 
we have a better working environment. Uh, you're going to work about the same hours. You are going to get to see the world. And there's a lot of benefits. And that was a career that most kids in the Midwest and still like, I can get paid to go live on a multi-million dollar yacht and travel the world. You're right. Get paid for it. I never thought about that coming from, I mean, yeah, there's boats in Toronto, but I never thought about chartering yachts. I think, I think Fort Lauderdale is the number one hub for it's like boating. A, it's the yachting capital of the world. It's yeah. it's definitely a thing, and you and you start to realize it when you come down here, mm-hmm. and you start you start boating, and even on the weekends you take out boats and small. It's not like the you know five hundred thousand dollar a week well, you yachts. Can go, you, you can go from here to Jupiter. Yeah, you I know. You just sit there and you go. You know, a hundred foot boat. It seems like everybody's got one. Well, it's the only other place in the world I've <laughs> ever experienced for this Lauderdale. is the place and in you the go, world. You go from Miami to Jupiter, and yeah. you could just you just say you've got a small thirty foot con- center console, yeah, and you're just cruising up the intercoastal, and you see all these canals, and you see all these yachts. I know, and it's like, Jesus, there's not that much money in the world, but there is. There is that yeah. much money, and I've I've never experienced this except when I've been in Monaco. That's the only other spot I've just seen so many insanely large boats. You know what's funny about about Monaco and place, some places like that in the Mediterranean? Hmm. Like you would take uh, the boat I was on, uh, St. David, 200 foot. You'd pull into Monaco and the people on the other boats would go like, Yeah. Oh, who, who let them in here? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. There goes the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because they're 300, 350 feet, two hundred. It's also it's also feet. the boats that they have there. I, I can uh, uh, when I saw it, I noticed that the type of boats. Like, I mean, you can make two hundred and you can make two hundred right. boats. It's insane. You can see two hundred foot, and then you see another two hundred feet, and one of them is just built like a palace. It looks like something you've never seen before, and then you see a traditional two hundred foot boat and you said to yourself wow just even in the size there's a different i remember i saw in the design you mean it's, something yeah. else yeah i mean imagine the builders <laughs> as well you know there's some names that are just they're equated with well it's the same way with cars yeah rolls royce bentley yeah ferrari this is what you expect this is the standard this is where they've set the bar mm-hmm. boat builders are the same way you get some people that you know want to get away cheap and it shows in the boat because they're not using the best materials. They're not using the best craftsmen. Yeah, that's uh, you can you can see the the classes over there. Just there's there's reach and then there's a whole new level of reach over there. Mm-hmm. And people that that uh, kind of like cruise the Mediterranean, uh, I guess they they all cruise. I've I've been there a few times, and what you see is that. They they cruise because it's so small. So you go from one place to another. So if right now the Grand Prix is is in Monaco, and then tomorrow it's uh, the Cannes Film Festival, and that's just gonna go. So they'll tell you now we're here, tomorrow we're there, and they can go from there to Greece to Israel. Yeah, just a very live attraction, and and the boats are gonna move. So it depends on the day you're there, and then you're gonna see it's empty after. Yeah, because they're all gonna move to another one. Now a lot of times, like if you wanna if you wanna you always see in the in the travel magazines when you think about the Grand Prix of Monaco. And you see the boats backed up to yeah. where the cars are just screaming by. Well, that dockage right there comes with a premium. You better have your captain walking down the dock to see the dock master with a suitcase full of money. Cash. 
Do you know what it costs? And easily six figures. Just a dock there. That's for no. The dockage is going to cost you more than that. That's just for the privilege of him charging you to stay there. And then for the Monaco Grand Prix, he's going to want to know who's on board your boat. And if you don't have the right people on board, you're not getting in. Huh. So it's not about money sometimes. It's no. Uh, rather, you, know. you could just be another billionaire that has a bunch of nobodies on board that nobody ever heard of, and you're not going to get dockside. Wow. Now, if you got Leonardo DiCaprio and some of his buddies that want to be there, okay. Hmm. Or if you got Oprah, David Geffen, guys like that, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know. Then, it's a different type of currency. Then, right? then, fame then fame is, above, is above regular money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So just everybody isn't going to, just because you have the money, doesn't get you in the door. Yeah. Just being a Russian oligarch doesn't <laughs> help. Being a Russian oligarch doesn't, it is crazy. It's totally insane. No. But that's the world that, that I live and work in. I love it. All right. Uh, that was great. Where can people reach out to you? Do you want people to reach out to you? Uh, <laughs> you I'll give them to... your address. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, okay, so what are you working on now? So people that are fans, you've been doing the show for, uh, what, 10 years now? Yeah. Okay, so you have a book. You've been doing the show for 10 years. What's next for everybody? That... Uh, I'm thinking of doing another book, okay. a cocktail table book. Okay. Maybe of my Captain Lee-isms. Um, I love that. Join <laughs> with the idea of a podcast. Good. Nice. And I got some other projects that I'm working on. Good. But Good. I'm not at liberty to discuss right now. Deal. <laughs> I don't scare anybody off. <laughs> or I don't want somebody getting there before I do. <laughs> Smart. Smart. Captain, listen, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure's mine. Thank and you. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. 
Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 